And as we will see in this series of messages on sovereignty of God and suffering, that's what God wants us to do. He longs for us to come to his feet. God does not, and, and, and I want to preface this with what these series, and if I didn't say it last week, I say it again, or I'll say it now. God does not enjoy bringing and putting us into suffering. But he knows that if we're going to develop an intimate relationship with him, it's a must. And quite frankly, we have to see this. And we'll be looking at it more as we go through this series. When we go through suffering times, does it bring the best out of us or does it bring the worst out of us? The worst, doesn't it? You think that's a mistake by God? That worst that comes out, God says, I want to get that out of the way so we can be more intimate. But we want to, what's that Philippians say, do all things without murmurings and disputings? All we want to do is murmur and dispute. We kind of want to argue with God. In fact, we even want to say, God, where are you in this? And that is a question that we must ask every time we're going through suffering. God, where are you in this? Because he is there. And if we're going to be angry at God and we're not going to look for God, we're not going to find God. Now you're in for a real treat here in a little bit when Dave shares his testimony. I've heard bits and pieces of it. He's going to go in more detail, but... Um, the suffering has done him good. <laughs> and he wants to share that this morning. And if we look at our suffering, again, Glenn shared with us was his situation with the cancer. And, and by the way, let me give you an update on, on uh, Joyce, if you haven't heard. Um, the chemo is working, but she's still not done with it. They were hoping this would be the end of it, but it's not. Whatever's working is working. The cancer is arrested, but she has to go through another... In fact, today she's getting some kind of a shot, and she's going to have to continue with a couple more uh, chemo treatments. They're a bit discouraged by that until they realize, okay, things are still working good, it's just going to take a little longer than we thought. So continue to pray for Joyce. Uh, they're encouraged that things are moving in the right direction. And uh, so, as you know, with the chemo, she's not always feeling the best. She, in fact, they went in there... Good news, no chemo. And they said, no, we need to do a chemo today. So that's why she's not here today. The chemo's making her feel sick today, and she's not with us. Uh, but just an update on, on her. We understand how these things are. And, and of course, we know in the last couple of years, we've had two of our a brother and a sister go home, Lord, because of the cancer. But praise the Lord, we know where they're at. I mean, uh, because of one... Uh, Come to know the Lord. And if they hadn't been for the cancer, may not have ever come to know the Lord. So, but anyways, let's move on. Review of last week as we began. There is a great deal of suffering in the world. And it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. We have to come to grips that life is not going to be fair. Which is not going to be. Count on it. So get used to it. If you're looking for fairness in life, it's not going to happen. But we looked at six things in regard to Satan last uh, week. Where God uses him to bring suffering. One is, Satan is the ruler of the world. 
Now he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, but he's got this world set up to make it look like he is, because he's got it under his control. There is demon activity, and for the most of us here in this room, we probably have never experienced it. But I tell you, outside, well, probably even in the United States, I think demon activity is increasing dramatically. Uh, in fact, you probably see it in a bigger city a lot more than we would back here in the mountains. But, um, and just talking to this brother back and forth to the men's challenge, he's got some stories to tell too. <laughs> for living in a big city. Praise God I'm not there. Um, but praise God for individuals that are willing to be there and do that. But there is demon activity and it's growing. I think one of the reasons is because we as a nation are playing with it more. Even through Disney. You know, I used to be able to watch anything on Disney, not anymore. <laughs> uh, there's nothing worth watching even on Disney anymore because how much of it has demon activity in it. <laughs> Satan has his hand in persecution. We see that increasing all across the globe. And it's increasing here in the United States as well. And I believe it will escalate. Satan has the power to take lives. As we saw with Job and other situations. Satan has power over natural disasters. And Satan has power over physical health. Each one of these is causing some form of suffering in our lives and in this world. Some of, in some of these we're experiencing or have experienced a great deal of effect of the suffering. Now let's look at some more areas here that Satan has that Satan has control over. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. This passage has always somewhat puzzled me. Because it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now I don't know exactly what this cunning meant in the way of a snake. But there was something about this creature that Satan was attracted to and he was going to use him to tempt Adam and Eve. Now, I, I'm assuming here that somehow the devil enabled this snake to talk. There's, not, there's only one other animal I can think of in Scripture that talked, and that was a mule. And, uh, but he used it here. So here, here he's using an animal to tempt Adam and Eve. Um, of course, there weren't any other human beings for him to use. But why didn't he use himself? Satan's a beautiful angel, intelligent. I don't know how long it had been before he had fallen and was kicked out of heaven, but I don't think it was too long that he got busy wanting to deceive Adam and Eve, and he chose a serpent to do it. So he used an animal. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.8 and see what Satan is compared to. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be serious, what it means. Be vigilant, be on guard. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I've never been on an African safari. Uh, you know how I like to hunt. I thought that might always be fun to go and, and, and hunt in those areas and, and pursue some of these, these uh, critters as far as hunting. But 
an ant, a lion, and, and actually you, I would have to say this, it would have to be a female lion because they're the ones that do the hunting. <laughs> the males just kind of, you go hunting and I'll eat it when you catch it. And uh, that's the way it works. But uh, nevertheless, we're familiar with how these cats work. And if you've got a cat at home and you've ever tried to drag something to the living room, you know how they sneak and they're, they're very uh, sneaky in their attack. Well, that's what this is talking about. Satan is very sneaky in his attack. If he attacked, in fact, we were talking about this yesterday with, with somebody uh, in our conversation. Around, and by the way, we had 25 guys that actually showed up to the father-son thing, and we had a great time. And I, I praise the Lord that Glenn and, and Dan and, and Dave were able to be there, and, and uh, Brandon and Scott showed up as well. And uh, so we had a good representation from our own church. But uh, we're talking about this um, Satan's deceptiveness. He, he, he is, it's like the frog in the hot water type thing. You know what I'm talking about? You can take a frog and stick him in cold water and you can slowly turn the heat up and, and he'll boil to death and he won't even know it because he's cold-blooded. And his blood adjusts to the water temperature. And he won't try to jump out of the water. He'll just get in there and he'll boil to death and don't even know it. Satan does the same thing to us. If he just confronted something that was obviously blatantly sin, we'd be shocked by it and we wouldn't do it, right? But he slowly turns the heat up. And how many of us as Christians got to admit that we have become desensitized to sin? You know where you see it the most? Your television. There was a time when we went about two years without a television. And then the Olympics were coming and we decided we'd get the television back because we wanted to watch television. I got to admit that when we turned that television on, I was embarrassed by the commercials alone. But now we don't think anything about it. We've become desensitized because Satan is slowly turning the heat up. That's how liberalism is creeping into the church. It's just slowly sneaking in there because we're not well grounded in the boundaries that are laid out for us in the Word of God. In Revelation 12, he's called a dragon. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. So I believe the serpent was indwelt by Satan somehow. Call the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. I believe those angels are the demons that we see working in the world. So he's called a dragon. He's called a serpent. Sly and sneaky. Snakes can be around you not even know it and they're subtle and that's the way Satan is and that's the way he perceives himself but animals have been used to bring great plagues into the world not in our day but there was a day when the bubonic plague covered what half of Europe how many souls died in that bubonic plague you know what it was caused by rats and mice spreading the their disease. Again, we don't see it much in this country, but in, in Mexico and South America, 
mosquitoes spread malaria. In fact, in this country right now, we got a problem with the West Nile virus. Not a pleasant thing. I had it myself a few years back. You get the flu for 10 days and it doesn't go away. It just makes you sick. It comes from a mosquito bite. How many have gotten tick bites and gotten Lyme disease? In Africa, there's a big problem right now with black flies. They cause river blindness. Then we've heard of snake bites, spider bites. Have you seen some pictures of what a spider bite can do to a, a hand? Just, you wouldn't think from a little critter it could do that to a body, but it does. Then we got scorpions. See? Never seen any of them, but they can do a number on you. And then, because we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing and keeping the animals under control, we got a rabies problem. If they would go back to trapping and, and harvesting those animals, like we would not have the rabies problem that we have today. But rabies is another major problem. All from animals. And that's just a few. I guarantee you there's a whole lot more that come from the animal king that Satan is using to bring suffering. What about plants? Do we ever suffer from plants? Anybody got allergies? Pardon? Yeah, exactly. That's the first thing on my lips is poison ivy. Poison oak, poison shumac. Yeah. How about marijuana? Now, when we were in Hudsville, the prisoners couldn't get marijuana much, but those who got permission to work on the farm, I, I went in there more than once as an as a ambulance personnel and took guys out because they are high on loco weed. I don't know what it looked like, but they knew what it looked like, and it made them loco. <laughs> I mean, it really did a number on them, and, and they would smoke that stuff. And, and, of course, we have poppies that turned into heroin. Just simple plants that can turn into a, a drug addiction. How about molds and mushrooms? You know what that is. You have it. In fact, I know Stephanie, she's not, oh, she's here. she has trouble with that right now. She's wrestling with that in her, her situation. And uh, we're going to try to help her out with that. But, you know, our, in fact, speak to me later. i got something for you I want to pass on to you. For an allergy thing. In fact, he's the one that was telling me. So right there, Jim's got a, he's got asthma problems. He's got a solution that'll help you a great deal. Maybe you need to talk to Jim before you leave. But I wrote it down so you you could get it. So uh, he finds it very very helpful. And then what about micro animals? You ever heard of a virus or bacteria? We can't see them with a the naked eye, but you know what it is when you have one, don't you? Stomach bug from a virus, a cold from a virus. And we know that these bacteria and these viruses can even be deadly. And why do we have to get a new flu shot every year? Because they're constantly mutating. They're constantly changing. So Satan even uses these things to bring suffering into our lives. On different levels, of course. I mean, some of you get colds just so you have to think about it and you get it. Me, I, I, I rarely get a cold. I don't understand why. But that's the way we're designed. But God even uses these things. Let's look at Jonah for a moment. Let's turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah, Micah, and Nahum. That's one of those little books that we don't use very much. But God used a great fish. And we all usually see it portrayed as a whale. 
but the reality is a whale cannot swallow a human being. And again, it blows my mind. You all know how big a blue whale is. Anybody ever seen one? Probably not. Seen pictures of them. I mean, how many tons do they weigh? You've seen one, Pat? Yeah. Awesome creature. Huge. Tons. You know what they eat? You can't even see what they eat. Plankton. <laughs> it's just floating there in the ocean. They just screen it up and it feeds this huge body. They don't eat any fish. They don't eat that kind of stuff. Amazing. But there is a fish that can swallow a human being. And we know the story of Jonah, don't we? God said, go to Nineveh and preach. He said, uh-uh. So he went the other way. And God said, you know, I like to use people that want to do things for God. I don't force anybody. If you want to do it, I'm not going to twist your arm. That's, that's between you and God. But did God twist Jonah's arm? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, why did he do that, you know? It just blows my mind. And then when he gets there, he preaches. And then he goes outside the city and says, well, Great God, send the fireworks, I'm ready. And revival breaks out and people get saved. And he was disappointed. How could God use a man with a heart like that to bring a revival to a city like that? I, I don't, if you haven't answered that, I don't know what it is because I, I don't understand that. It does tell me this. It's not the individual that brought the revival. It's the Word of God that brought the revival. Maybe that's the reason he did that. But nevertheless, we know the story, don't we? We know the history. Jonah's out there in a shipwreck and, and said, Hey guys, I know why we're doing this. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm running from my God. And the only way this is going to be solved is you've got to throw me overboard. Why didn't he just jump? <laughs> Why did he make them pick him up and throw him in the water? I think it was just that stubbornness. You know, if you don't throw me in, I'm not going. Swallows him. Now, in Jonah 1.17, we read this. Now the Lord prepared a great fish and swallowed him up. And he was in that fish for three days and three nights. You ever been on amusement rides? What do you think this one was like? <laughs> Pitch dark. In fact, I don't think he knew he was in there three days, three nights. How could he know? There was, he was in a belly. There was no light. He didn't know how long he was in there, but God knew it because there's a picture here for us. We're not going to look at that today. But then, Jonah comes out and, and what, what, what verse is it? Chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish and invited him out on dry land. That must have been pleasant. I mean, he was in there for three days. He was still eating. Well, maybe not. Maybe he had a bellyache. <laughs> maybe he wasn't eating much for three days. But you know what his stomach was still doing, don't you? Jonah was in the process of being digested. Not pleasant. A little bit of suffering. Jonah chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The Lord prepared a plant and made it and covered up Jonah. Why did he need a plant to cover him up? I think his skin was a little bit on the sensitive side. Because of those digestive juices that had been working on him for three days. But notice, he prepared a plant and then on 7, as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. He ate the roots out, the plant died. 
God's still not done with Jonah. He's still not, he's not where Jonah needs to be, so he needs to send him some more suffering. He gave him a little bit of compassion, but he's still not done with Jonah's suffering because Jonah's heart is still not where it needs to be. Folks, when we're running from God and wrestling with God, if you're a child of God, understand this and never forget it. You cannot outrun God. And His love is always 100%. So what is He always going to do? He's going to keep working on you until you get it right. So if you don't want to give in, enjoy your misery. Because there's more to come. And Jonah did not quickly give in to what God wanted him to do. And then in verse 8, Then the sun rose, and God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. Going along with Brandon's song, he, he was getting down to his feet of Jesus. <laughs> he was faint. He had no other place to go. And so God even used nature to accomplish his goal in a man's life that was stubborn. Again, the only thing I can see why God did that was to show us that it's not you that gets the job done, it's the Word that gets it done. And I can use anybody. Now, that doesn't mean we need to, oh God, I'll be, I'll be belligerent anyways, because you're going to use me. That's not the point that God's trying to make here. What God created to be Good Satan permitted to be used as suffering. Some of the suffering will come not as a result of our personal sin, but just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Now, God is sovereign over Satan's temptations of sin. And let's look at that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Satan is clearly the tempter. He started from Adam and Eve and... Now, probably... I don't expect anybody of us in this room has ever had Satan tempt us specifically or probably ever will be. He is not omnipresent. Now, does he tempt individuals? I'm sure he does. But probably individuals that are a lot more prominent in getting the gospel out. And I don't know if this has ever happened, but I'll, I'll use it for an example. Billy Graham has had a major influence in the world with the gospel. There's pro there may have been times when Satan deliberately tried to attack him on a one-to-one -one basis because of his influence. Satan clearly is the tempter, Matthew 4, 3 says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. We know this. Three different times when Christ was tempted by Satan himself. We know in Genesis chapter 3, he started this with, with Adam and Eve. Romans 8 records it. But Satan is not omnipresent. But he has designed the world to be saturated with temptations. In fact, you've heard me say this before, and I shared with the men yesterday. We as Christians live in a septic tank. Now, some of you guys surely probably have had to work with a septic tank. I, I'm sure you probably have put in a few or cleaned out a few. Is that your highlight of the day? I get to clean out a septic tank today. The odor is not good. Just what's there just is cringes, but somebody's got to do it. That's what we live in today. Can you see it any other way? I don't. 
And Satan has designed this world to be that way. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, he polluted it so bad that it says there that man's thoughts were evil continually. So much so that there was only Noah, his wife, three boys and their wives that he could rescue from this mess that the world was in. Now it's not that bad now because there's more of us right here than that and there's a lot of believers across the globe but our world is getting worse and worse all the time, isn't it? I don't expect it to get any better before the Lord comes. Now he could send a revival. I'm praying for revival but it doesn't mean it's going to come. So Satan has devised a plan to tempt believers. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. 31-32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Satan has designed the world to really put the pressure on us as Christians and to doubt what we believe about this book. How many of you want to admit, I've had doubts about this book at times in my life? Yeah, I have. But when we believe that God cannot lie and God knows what's best and we stick to that, we will come through it closer to him than it was when we started. And that's the whole plan. So he's devised a plan to tempt believers. Peter, he went after him. Of course, I think he knew who Peter was going to be and what impact he was going to have on the church. We talked about Job last week. And some believers, in fact, another pastor we'll look at another time, God brought persecution to the church in Jerusalem. They there to take the gospel and spread it. They didn't. So what did God bring? Persecution. And spread it. Just like it was in Babel. God said, fill the earth. Man can gather up in one spot. We're going to make a city of our We're going to make our own God. We're going to make our own way to heaven. So they built a tower. And God said, I'll fix this. Over 7,000 different languages were to get, come together in one day. And they all had to scatter. And the earth is populated as a result of it. Temptations, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Again, this is a verse that we've heard many times, but we need to be reminded. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has taken you, but it, such is common to man. You know what that verse means? No new surprises. There's no new temptation. God, that's a new one. You caught me off guard. All the temptations that are here now are the same one existed in Adam's day. Nothing's new. Then it goes on to say, but God, don't you love that? But God. That's a big turning point right there, isn't it? But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. Now I used to think that in a sense God gave me different degrees of temptation depending on where I was spiritually. <laughs> I come to believe it doesn't believe that at all. It's not teaching that at all. You know what that means? There's not a temptation on the face of the earth that I can't resist. Because the blood of Christ can give me victory over any temptation. At any point in time in my life, 
There's no temptation that we can say, God, that was too much. You blew it. I couldn't handle that. There's no temptation beyond our ability to resist. And then it goes on to say, and we'll also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Do we look for the escape? Or do we, in a sense, want to be trapped in the corner so we can enjoy that sin? If we're honest with ourselves, don't we enjoy certain sins? And don't we kind of want to be trapped in the corner so we can enjoy it? Now, we don't like the consequence that comes afterwards, but we're enjoying it while we're doing it, right? What's the escape? What was Joseph's escape? Run. <laughs> Just get away from it. Of course, there was something ahead of that, really. Because he told Potiphar's wife, I will not do this evil against my God. He had a determination in his brain, in his, in his heart. I will not do this thing against God. I don't care what you do to me. Now, I, I believe because of his godly character, Potiphar didn't kill Joseph. He was a slave. If you had been accused of rape, you would have been executed on the spot. But he had a character. Of course, we know God wanted to use him. He wasn't done with him yet. But I think Potiphar knew his wife. And he knew who was telling the story. So he had to save, save Joseph, so he threw him in prison. When we fall into temptation, it is our choice. And so if we suffer consequences from that, we have no one to blame but ourselves. God allows Satan to tempt us. He could shield us from us. In fact, Satan accused that of God towards Job. You've shielded him. But God is sovereign over Satan's blinding influence. Let's turn to John chapter 12, verse 40. John 12, 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their ears, and lest they hear, understand with their hearts, and turn that I should heal them. God is allowing Satan to blind their eyes. It's man's choice. Another verse along the same line is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Clearly says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan is definitely blinding people's hearts. He does that with all the temptations. He does that with the worldly philosophies out there. There's a whole lot of ways in which Satan is blinding people's eyes to the truth. But man has a choice. And we saw in Revelation, just look at one of them, that even though all these plagues are coming on the earth, these, the six bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments, the um, what's the other one? Uh, the, the trumpets, the seal, or it starts out with the seals, then the trumpet, then the bowl judgments. All these judgments, they know this is all coming from God. And look at Revelation 16.9, which says, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give Him glory. I believe every human being that knows all the suffering that comes is because we deserve it. I'm doing this to myself. And I know it's coming from God. But I really don't care. 
And so it only gets worse for them. But God counteracts it with his light in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We were there just a moment ago. But for those that want the truth, he reveals the truth to them. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's always light. You have to look for it. You don't look for it, you don't find it. Everyone receives enough light to make the right choices. Romans 1.21 says, And when they knew God, past tense, every human being knows there's a God. But they don't always acknowledge it or accept it or want it. Man chooses to make the message of the cross foolishness. Now, we wonder how that can be, but we do have to remind ourselves, don't we? We're on the other side of the cross now. And some of you didn't get saved until you were later in life. Didn't you do the same for years and years and years? And that's what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know why the persecution of the Christian is growing in the world today? Because we are the source of the problems in the world. If we weren't so narrow-minded and to accept the fact that a homosexual is not a sinner, but just, that's his choice. And alcohol and drug problem is not a, is not a sin. It's just, it's just a choice. You narrow-minded people are making it so difficult. In fact, among homosexualities, among that group of people, they have the highest suicide rate in the world. And they're blaming it on the Christian because you're making them feel guilty. Is it me that's making them feel guilty? No, it's this that's making them feel guilty. So they want to get rid of this. In order to do that, they've got to get rid of us. That's what they're doing. Now, I can honestly say I can love anybody that has the choice of being homosexual. I'll love them just like anybody. I'll treat them just like anybody else. That's what Christ does. But I won't condone their sin. They can't make that separation. That's the problem. They think in order for us to love them and accept them, we have to accept their sinful lifestyle as well. They can't make that separation, but we can, and Christ does. We read in John 12, 32, that God draws all men to himself. There will be no man that will stand before God and say, God, I didn't know all this. Not going to happen. Every human being is being drawn to him. But we know also from Matthew 7, broads the gate and narrows the way. Isn't that sad? Out of all of humanity, all of humanity, the majority of them are going to go to hell. In light of that, I've got to ask you now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, where are you at today? If you drop dead this very moment, where are you going? If you know Christ as Savior, you're going to heaven, not because of anything you've done or are doing. Everything is because of what Christ has done for us. And unless you know what your appointment is with your undertaker, you better make that decision as quickly as possible. Because you have no idea that you're going to survive this day. And we have some young people who say, i got lots of time. You don't know that. Yeah, maybe the odds are in your favor, but you don't know that. And you can't count on that. I had a friend that counted on that, and 30 days later he was dead at age 21. 
He knew what he had to do. He told me that. I know what I got to do. But I don't want to give up my sin. I don't want to give up my booze. I don't want to give up my fast cars. And I don't want to give up my fast women. I got lots of time. He mixed his booze and he mixed his fast cars and he took out two telephone poles that were 10 feet apart. Thank God he didn't have any fast women with him because they would have died with him. He thought he had a lifetime. God is sovereign over Satan's spiritual slavery. Satan's methods of Satan's methods encourage slavery. And if we're given into sin, we're slaves to it. And here's some of the things that we use to convince ourselves of that. We, we th some people think this. There's so much misery, there cannot possibly be a good God. Have you heard that statement before? Maybe perhaps used that? With our luxuries, when we have enough pleasures, power, prestige, possessions, they become, we become content with those things. Solomon expressed that in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15. I've got everything in the world. There's not a thing I could not do. And yet it's all vain and empty. No satisfaction in those possessions and that power, that prestige, and Solomon had it all. God's solution to this bondage is repentance. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. This is our hope. It can change. We can relieve some of our suffering by eliminating the consequences of our sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 through 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken by him to do his will. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Either you're serving God or you're serving saving Satan. There's no middle ground. And the choice is ours. That's what he's telling us here. Repentance delivers us from the traps of Satan. So at some point, God brings everyone to our senses. Obviously, not everybody's making the right choice. I don't know about you, but I thank God. He's enabled me to make the right choice. In conclusion, there is a need... There is indeed a great deal of misery and suffering in the world, and it's all because of sin. <clears throat> I believe God allows the suffering and the severity of the suffering just to convince the world that sin is serious business. Because if everything's going smooth, what's the world doing? They're deceiving themselves and excusing the sin. And so when things bad things happen, there's individual that why. And some individuals come to know Christ because of the suffering they're going through. And when they get to glory, they can, and if, even if before they get to glory, they might say, thank God for that suffering. I found my Savior. For us as believers, why the suffering? God wants us to purge us of the sin that we're struggling with. And he wants us to draw closer to him. And when we're in our comfort zone, how eager are we to search out God? You know, I've told you, my 
I worship my comfort zone. I love my comfort zone. Don't rattle my cage. Don't jerk my chain. Leave me alone. I'm comfortable. God says, nope, I want you closer to me, so I'm going to rattle your cage. It's not always fun going through that suffering, but when we come out the other side, we can always look back at it and say, thank you, God, you knew what was best for me. I accept that. Now, what we need to learn to do is, when the suffering comes, not get into that mumbling and grumbling, complaining stage and say, okay, God, this is not going to be easy, but I want to see you in this. That's what makes our suffering, I don't like the word tolerable, but maybe that's the only word I can think of right now. It won't seem quite so bad because we're not fighting God on it. We're working with Him through it. And we develop a more intimate relationship with Him. And so as we look at this, God is sovereign in our sovereignty. We're going to look at a lot more about this. And some of this may be repetitive, but I think we need to, to see and develop, ask God to develop a, a new attitude in our own heart and mind about the suffering. Now, again, some of our young people, they don't know what suffering is. In fact, I don't know, there's some young people that have suffered more than I will ever will because of the families they've been come through and the things they've suffered. I don't know what those things are that some of our young people have to go through. And, we, and I've counseled individuals that had horrible, horrible childhoods and, and was raised up in severely abusive situations, not just physically, but sexually, emotionally. I don't know what that is. And some of these folks said, where was God when this was going on? I guarantee you, God was right there with you, grieving with you. But even in that suffering, He had a purpose. And we have to see that this suffering is, is all orchestrated and ordained by God for a specific, a specific purpose. Let's don't complain about it. Let's don't murmur about it. Let's say, God, let's do this together. And it'll be a whole lot easier to deal with it. And we'll see Him in a whole new light. We'll see aspects of God that we'll know, know no other way. I'm going to close in prayer, and Dave, if you would come, please, and I want you to share what your testimony with us while we get ready for communion. And, and Josh, as soon as he's done, we'll have a verse while we're getting ready. Okay, so well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you're sovereign, even in our suffering. We're honest, God. We're raw with you. We don't like it. We, we don't want suffering. We want to enjoy life without it. But Father, we're reminded this morning that it's ordained by you. And thank you, Lord. It's not forever. It's only just for a short period of time compared to eternity. And we got the hope of a, a newer and more wonderful eternity that's coming with you. But this time is somehow crucial for us to develop our relationship with you. And so Father, help us. When the suffering comes, to go with you through it, not murmuring, not complaining, but willing to do and see you in a way that we've never seen you before, and give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.